So Hope Church exists to help people connect with God through Jesus Christ, his son. And our goal is to help people come to know Jesus, but also once they connect with Jesus, to grow in their faith in Jesus. And that faith journey oftentimes is different. I mean, for different people, it's different. Um, here's, what, here's what we find, that God changes us from the inside out. And when we give, him, when we give our lives to him, and we begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, all of a sudden God begins to do a work in our lives. And there's areas of our lives that he'll call and he'll say, we need to talk about this, we need to work on this. And sometimes it takes quite a bit of time to do that. Um, there's three major things that God uses to change us. He uses his word, he uses his people, and he uses the Holy Spirit. The Bible says that when we receive Christ as Savior, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the indwelling gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, we at Hope have a strategy, and our goal is to get people into uh, small groups, life groups, because we think that change happens when you sit in circles with other people who know your name. When you're sitting with God's Word and God's people, good things happen, and we, we feel like that's how growth happens. So I just want to challenge you, first of all, that if you're not part of a life group, would you consider it, prayerfully consider it? We have uh, heard story after story of people who have been in groups who said, this has been so helpful in my growth in, in, in the Lord, uh, in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, so we're going to look at Peter, and we're, we're going through his epistle of Peter, but Peter's a good example of how Jesus takes somebody and changes them. And you think about Peter. Jesus calls him off of a boat as a fisherman, Peter follows him for three, three and a half years, right? And there, he, Peter was one of the inner circle. He was the one that went up on the mountain. He was the one that saw the uh, child raised. He, Peter saw things that uh, some of the other disciples didn't see. It was one of the trusted inner circle uh, disciples. But he was also one who failed Jesus miserably. Um, he was the one who... Uh, in the garden, took a sword out and began to uh, say, this is it. This is the revolution. This is what we've been waiting for. And Jesus says, put your sword away. He was the one who denied Jesus in, in, when Jesus was being um, tried, brought before the justice. And he was the one who had a meal with Jesus after the resurrection. And Jesus said three times to him, do you love me? And he was the one who wrote, first and second Peter. So we could just see in Peter's life, there's this, it's not, per, it's not a perfect growth pattern. It's an up and down pattern. And that's the way it'll be with us. So this morning, we want to look at Peter's epistle. It's the first one. It's first Peter. And we're going to pick it up at verse 13. Let me read it to you. And uh, we'll follow along. We'll follow the thought patterns there. He says this, this is verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are fully, that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires, <clears throat> excuse me, you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with imperishable things, excuse me, with perishable things such as silver and gold you were redeemed 
from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times of your, for your sake. Though you believe in him, uh, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not a perishable seed, but an imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass and the glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. So we're going we're gonna to really go through and kind of ask three, you know, four questions that will help us clarify the passage. The first one is, what is the significance of therefore? So the first word I read today was therefore. You should circle that word because it's significant. Uh, it's significant that what's going on. So Peter is what we call an epistle. An epistle is merely a theological word that means it's a letter. We all write letters, right? We like, well, not as often now as we used to, but we write letters, right? We have a salutation and we have a, you know, a body and we have a closing and we kind of send it off. Well, that's essentially what Peter wrote. Peter wrote a letter. First and second Peter are letters or epistles. They were distributed to many house churches it says in uh, verse 1, through the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, and Asia, and Bithynia. So the, what happened was Peter would write this letter, these letters, they would be taken, and in these small house churches, the, the letters would be read to the Christians. And so that's what we're doing. We're, we're, we're taking Peter's letter and we're, we're going through it right now. Now, here's, here's what the first 12 verses say, because at verse 13, he says, therefore. Now, what we find when we go through the epistles is we find this very common. You find it in Ephesians, Galatians, and other writings. You'll see that the writer will, will kind of tell you things that are true. Jesus is God before the foundation of the world. He did this. And, you know. So it's a lot of the indicative mood, which is just a statement of truth. And then you come to the second half, and it moves to the imperative mood. And those of you who were great with grammar, you get it. If you weren't really great with grammar, that just means he's telling you in the first half what to know, what you need to know. And then the second half, he tells you what you need to do because of what you know. And he's doing that right here in the first 12 verses. He's telling you what you need to know. And then when he comes to therefore at verse 13, he's telling you, here's what you need to do because of what you know. And that's the Christian life, isn't it? The Christian life is all about knowing, knowing what we need to do and then going out and doing it. So Peter's going to tell us, this is what we're going to look at this morning, what do we need to do based upon what I've already told you? So what has he told us so far? Here's what he's told us. That God had a plan to redeem you by sending his son who shed his precious blood. This was an eternal plan. Before the foundation of the world, God had a plan. 
God's plan was set before the creation, and God has given us a new birth. He talks about this new birth. He also talks about an inheritance that will never, never perish, spoil, or fade. He talks about his indwelling Holy Spirit. So Peter says you have this new birth, you have this salvation, you have this inheritance, you have the Holy Spirit. Now because of all of this, and because it came at a great price, because Jesus Christ gave his precious blood, because of all of this, here's what you need to do. Okay, so that's what we want to look at. That's what we want to look at. So then we come to therefore, and Peter is essentially saying, because of all of this, here's what you should. So the first thing he says is that we should set our hope on his grace. We should set our hope on his grace. Now, some the older translations, the King James Version, would use this phrase, gird, your, gird the loins of your mind. Anybody gird the loins of your mind this week? Well, what in the world does that mean? Well, simply this, that in, in the older days, in the days of Jesus, they would wear these long flowing robes and they would have a belt. And when they had to get somewhere fast, they would gird up their loins. They would take the garment and they would gather it in a belt so it would clear their legs so they could run. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, gird up the loins of your mind. Get ready to run, get ready to move, get ready to act, get ready to do something. Now, he's basically saying, put your workout clothes on. You're in a battle, you're in a race. And then he says a couple of things, and we're going to look at these. He says, don't conform to this world. Kind of similar to Romans 12, 1 and 2, where Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. He says, be holy. Uh, he says, see the incredible cost and love each other and obey his word. So those are, you know, basically the, the gist of what he's saying. Here's what you need to do. And he's going to kind of flesh these out as we go through these. Here's the point I want you to see. Peter is showing us, and it's a really important thing, and, and we need to hear this today, that being a Christian is more than praying a prayer. Being a Christian is more than giving uh, your money. Being a Christian is more than attending a service or watching online. Being a, a Christian is more than reading your Bible. Being a Christian is more than praying. The question is, do you call yourself a Christian or do you follow Christ? That, that's really what it comes down to. Peter is essentially saying, do you call yourself a Christian or do you follow Christ? Now, it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect, but there is a certain direction there. See, if you're a Christian... If you're a Christ follower, you walk a different life path. You don't conform to this world. You have a love for others, even your enemies. You obey his word. You have an eternal hope that drives your life. You will live as a foreigner here and now. You're an ambassador. You're, uh, we talked about this last weekend. You're a chosen sojourner. <laughs> it means that you have a different residence, but you are living in a, here on earth. So let me just say this to you, parents that are here today and watching online. Um, you need to have this, and we've had this conversation with our kids through the years as they are growing up. And you do this if you, sometimes your kids kind of push the boundaries, not sometimes, all the time. And you come to a point where you have to sit them down and you have to look them in the eye and you have to say, that's not who we are. 
Have you had that conversation with your child lately? Have you ever had it? Where you see things going on, you see language, you see other things, and you sit them down and say, that's not who we are. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, one of the most powerful things you could do with your children is look them in the eye sometimes when they're kind of going off task, off path, and you say, this is not who you are. This is not who we are. That's really important. And it's also important that you back it up with your life, too, as a parent. So that's the first thing we want to look at. Okay, here's the second one. What does it mean to be holy? Because he says, be holy, for God is holy. And this whole thing of holiness, it's kind of like, well, what does that even mean? Um, so the word here is uh, kadosh, kadosh, and it's used in the Old Testament a lot. And basically, essentially, what it means is he's just beyond us. He's, he's beyond our comprehension. He's far beyond our thoughts and our, and our dreams, and, and he's not like us. And so often we make Jesus, we make our Father in heaven like us. And there is a point where God is our Father, and Jesus came from heaven to earth and lived as a man, and we, we connect with that. But we also have to understand that God is transcendent. He's be above and beyond us. And I think the, the, the uh, Isaiah has it right where he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The holiness of God means that his, his love is beyond anything that we could ever comprehend or dream. That his wisdom is beyond our feeble understanding. That his power and majesty ex exceeds our wildest thoughts. That he is beyond anything that we could ever think about. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you feel that you are honoring the holiness of God? Because we're told by Peter, be holy like he is holy because he is holy. And you, you say, well, I, I hope so. Well, let me give you a scenario. Have you worried recently? Have you questioned God because life isn't going the way you thought it should go? Have you felt as though you got cheated? Have you felt that, that, that the plan that God has for your life is disappointing to you? Well, what are you doing there? You're essentially saying to God, God, I don't believe that you are love beyond my comprehension. I don't believe you're powerful beyond my understanding. I don't believe you're wise. In fact, I would do things different. God said to Job, you know, said about Job, he said he's probably the most righteous man on the earth. And what does Job say through all that? He never maligns God. What does he say all through the book? He just says, I just want to have an audience with God. Why does he want to have an audience with God? Play that out a little bit. Because he wants to know why. Now, why does he want to know why? 
And it's understandable because he doesn't like what's happening in his life. I mean, he lost everything. He lost his health. He lost everything. If there ever was a reason why you would ask why, this would be it. And how does God answer him? God says to Job, you don't get to ask me why. <laughs> I, I don't bow down to you. You bow down to me. You're the creature. I'm the creator. I'm transcendent. And the fact that you won't trust me. You see, what, what he's saying is we don't often hear that today. Sometimes we just have to come to a place where we put my hand, you put our hands over our mouths and we stop questioning him and complaining. Because when we do that, we are questioning his holiness. That he's above and beyond us and he has a plan. And he doesn't have to explain it to us. And by the way, even if he did, would it make a difference? <laughs> I mean, come on, let's be honest. But Peter says, not only is he holy, but he says, you need to be holy. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that there's no area of your life that's off limits to him. It means your heart belongs only to him. It means that you're totally devoted to him. You're totally at God's disposal. You are set apart to him. To be holy God means to be holy God. To be, to, to be holy means to be holy God's. That there's nothing that you, you, there's nothing in your life, there's nothing in your path, there's nothing in your direction you say, this, this belongs to me. Now, obviously, that's a, that's a high bar to reach, right? We'll never reach it this side of heaven. But it is what we should be shooting for, for certain. Peter says, because of all that he's done, because of the plan that he has for you, because that he's given you the Holy Spirit, because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, let him lead your life. Don't hold back from him. Find your everything in him. It's hard to do. Peter says, that's what you need to do. Here's the third point. How does God's word, how does God's word help us? It is an important tool. Notice what he says here. He says, he says, all people are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, fall but the word of the Lord endures forever. Uh, I'm reminded of Psalm 119, 105 that says, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light to my path. Now think back to those days because this is the days without the LED light bulbs, without the incandescent, without the fluorescent. You know, there was, it was dark. It was really, really dark back then. I mean, you maybe had a fire, but you, you, you know, when you're around a fire, there's only a, a certain amount that's lit. So this is, this is really dark. Um, a number of years ago, I went to Mali, West Africa. This wasn't my recent trip, but a long time ago, we went up to Timbuktu, and I, we were, um, Rich, the missionary, took me out to the, the Bedouins, the Torig people, and they basically are Bedouins. And one of the Bedouins showed me his little, his little shack, his little temporary uh, abode, and I walked, it's kind of, kind of like a tent area. 
And I walked in and he had this, this uh, I don't know where he got it. Uh, they are so industrious the way they can take uh, junk and put it together. He had a little solar collector and it went to a battery and then he had a little tiny light bulb. And he took me in there and he showed me that he could flip a switch and put a light on in there and that it was driven by the sun and he had battery power. And I thought, well, that's really ingenious. And, you know, part of me is thinking like, yeah, we call those flashlights. We have those, you know, a dime a dozen in America. But this was, this was unique. This was huge for him. This was like light in the darkness. This was, this is what we're talking about. And so the psalmist basically says that the, 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 the word of God is like a, a lamp to my feet. It says to your feet. Now, what does that mean? It means it shows you what's, what's, what's around you. It shows you the holes and, and, and the, the stumps. You know, if you ever go camping at night, and you have to get up in the middle of the night, three in the morning, and you have to use the restroom or something like that. And, and, and you, you want to have some sort of a light, right? Because you, you, you are looking down. Where's my next step? And where are the stumps? Where are the snakes? You know, other things like that, you know? And you want to see those things before you trip over them. And, and basically, uh, the writer, the psalmist says in the Word of God is, it, it helps us to see what's going on around us. What's going on within us, right? Our hearts. It shows us our hearts. But not only that, it says the light, it's a light to my path. And so my feet are looking down. My path is looking out. And so the Word of God also is a light to my path path it it shows me what's 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 going on in front of me it it helps me to make decisions down the road right essentially this is why we need the word of god and this is what paul says to timothy he says all scripture is god breathed and is useful for teaching and rebuking um correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of god may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And this is a great passage because it shows us, he says four things, Paul says four things about the scriptures. And I got this from another a pastor a number of years ago, and I still remember, it's probably 30 or more years ago. He says, the word of God shows us four things. You might want to write these down. It shows us what is right. It shows us what is wrong. It shows us how to get right. And it shows us how to stay right. And so it's a, it's a light to our path, right? It's a light to our path. And so the Word of God is a light because it shows us what is ahead. It shows us how to navigate my path, uh, my life path. Um, and it shows me what to do when I reach a fork in the road. And you say, so what do you do when you reach a fork in the road? And let me just give you a, a, a tool that'll help you. Um, some of you struggle making decisions because you say, well, what do I do? What should, what should I do here? Um, I've got a fork or maybe you've got multiple avenues to go. What should I do? And, and here's the question that you should ask yourself when you get to that point. What difference will this make in five years, in 50 years, and in 500 years? And that'll help you. That, that grid will help you make decisions because some decisions in five years, I mean, think about that. Some of the decisions you agonized over five years ago, you look at them now and go, I don't know why I was agonizing over them. 
And then some decisions you made five years ago, you're paying for now because you just jumped in and you didn't think it through. So that grid will help you, but the Word of God will help you in making those decisions. And it will warn you about certain things. You see, God's Word can help you make good decisions now and in the future and forever. So how are you doing as far as allowing this, this incredible tool that we've been given, His Word, to, to guide us and direct us? All right, let me give you one more. How do we fan the flame in our heart? How do we fan the flame of our heart? So everything we've set up to this point has been a kind of a how-to. And many times pastors will preach a how-to. You should do this, you should do this, you should do this, you should do this. And you walk out saying, man, I feel like I got so much to do, I don't think I'll ever get there. What am I going to do here? You know what? The Word of God has an interesting verse, and it basically, and I'm not going to quote it to you, I don't really have time, but essentially what it says, it says this. It says that not only God, not only will, will God tell us what He wants us to do, but He will give us the desire to do it. Do you ever lack the desire to follow God's Word? I, I do. But this, this verse basically says that God will give you the desire, give you the ability. So, so I want to kind of flam, fan that flame, okay? I want to fan that flame. So how do we get the desire? How do we fan the flames of our hearts? Well, I want to tell you a story. And if you follow uh, Chat with Matt on Facebook, um, I talked a little bit about this, and I told you I was going to give you the punchline this weekend. So here's the story. It's, uh, it's an interesting story. It's found in 2 Samuel 23. And it's one of those stories that as you're reading through the Bible, you really don't think about it. You kind of go through and you're reading through and you read the story and say, well, that was interesting. I don't understand why he did this, but other than that, I'm going to move on because I've got to get through the Bible. But this is a story about David, King David. So King David is... Uh, He's got his mighty men, and he's got these guys around him, and they're just, they're strong, they're smart, they're, they're great warriors, and they're fiercely loyal to David. They would do anything for David. They loved him, and they served him. And they're on the run because the Philistines have taken over the, the kingdom. And so David now is running, and he's, he's hiding out. And he's at his hideout with his mighty men and kind of on a whim, kind of one of those moments where you just, you may have said it this week. You may have said, oh man, I could really go for a cup of iced coffee. Or I could go for a slushy right now. Or you know, something along those lines. You just kind of say it out. You know, you kind of just say it, right? And so David says, oh, I could go for a, just a drink of water from the waters of Bethlehem. And his mighty men, a few of his mighty men heard that. And three of them left and went on a mission to get the king water. And they went out and they broke through enemy lines, went into the city, at the risking their lives, get the water, break back through the lines to get back. They bring the water to David and they hand it to David. 
Talk about loyalty. Risking their lives. And David takes the water and he pours it out. I, can you, you know, right? Can you imagine? Can you imagine if you were the three mighty men thinking, what are you doing here? We risked our lives. Now, I don't think David said, go get the water. I, I'm absolutely, I'm pretty sure he didn't do that. I think they just kind of out of a whim said, we're going to do this for our king because we are so loyal. We're fiercely loyal for our king. If he wants a drink, we're going to give him a drink of water. They do it and they risk their lives and they probably kind of bumped and bruised and sweaty and hot and tired and haggled and David dumps it out and he says this. This is what David says. It's an amazing thing. He says, far be it from me, Lord, to do this, he said. Is it not the blood of men who went at the risk of their lives and David would not drink it. Now to say these men were all in for David is an understatement. They've, they've risked their lives for a drink of water. They operated on the love of when... They loved David so much and they were so... They, they just When they heard a hint that he wanted something, they said... Oh, I'll do it. Here's what I find sometimes with Christians. Sometimes with Christians, it's like, yeah, God would love, you know, you know a, a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ is going to have to sacrifice. Well, how much? It's going to be a lot of work. How long is it going to, it's going to take me a lot of time because I, you know, I've got a schedule today. When God desires something, you, you say, well, what's going to cost me? Do I... I mean, do I really need to give 10%? I mean, that seems like a lot nowadays, right? Is, it, is that inflated? I mean, doesn't everything inflate? David's men heard David say, oh, I could go for a drink of water, and they immediately just jumped into action because they were so devoted to David. And David essentially, you know what he's saying? David's saying, no man should be so devoted to me that he would risk his life for a drink of water. There's only one person that deserves that kind of devotion, and it ain't me. That's why he poured the water out. David said, you're too devoted to me. I'm just a man. Your blood cannot be on my hands for that. So the question is, why should we have that kind of devotion for God? Because that's essentially the kind of devotion, what it means to be devoted to God. That's what it looks like. That kind of devotion is that when, when God, God has a whim and says, oh, what I could do for somebody to do this. And we say, I'll go, I'll go, I'll go. Here's the punchline. Jesus, our warrior king, the greatest mighty man that there ever was, he broke through the enemy lines. He came from heaven to earth. And he brought to us, every one of us, living water to drink. 
Remember he said to the woman at the well? No, I'll give you water, living water. You'll never have to drink again. He didn't just risk his life, he gave his life. He did it for everyone in this room, everyone listening, everyone watching. He broke through the enemy lines and he, gave, he didn't just risk his life, he gave his life so that you could live, so that you could drink the living water and live forever. That's how devoted he is to you. If you ever need something to fan the flames of your heart, picture Jesus breaking through enemy lines for you, giving his life so that you could drink the living water and live forever. That's all the motivation you'll ever need. And when he says, would you, you say, yes, well, don't even tell, you don't even have, just tell me what you need and I'll do it. That's what it means to be fully devoted to him. And that's what it, the motivation is. When you look at it that way, it comes down to the place that when Jesus says jump, we say, how high? We don't ask why. We don't say, well, will it fit my schedule? Is it convenient? We just say, tell me where you need me to go. Tell me what you want me to do. Tell me how much I need you want me to give. I will do everything for you because you've done everything for me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. The mighty man, the mighty man of mighty men, the greatest man that ever lived, the one who broke through the enemy lines to get us the living water, the one who lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died, the one, the only one who can give us life. And Father, as we are calling ourselves his followers, may we do that, may we follow him. May we be devoted to Him. May we give our very lives to Him. And may we answer His call whenever He speaks. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.